Warning. Project 1982 contains explicit language. We don't try to do it. It just happens. The Academy Award Orchestra, under the direction of composer-conductor Bill Conti. And now, here are Liza Minnelli, Dudley Moore, Richard Pryor, and Walter Matthau. Oh, man, that is a lineup. Go to uh, the actual Oscars site, and you'll get video clips of their first song. They sing? They do. Oh, God. Well, I don't know you could call it singing, except from Liza, but... (laughs) (laughs) Walter Matthau and Richard Pryor and Liza Minnelli. And Dudley Moore. And uh, so all four of them are singing a song? Oh, yeah. Well, that might have to open the show. And you can... <laughs> Boy, do you see the struggle bus. <laughs> the struggle bus. All aboard the struggle bus. I have been on that bus, my friend. When we're through. Oh, mercy. To brighten the day. Hello and welcome to Project 1982. I'm Michael Schantz. And I'm Matt Aldrich. And this is the show that says, you like me, you really like me, to the <laughs> movies of 1982. We ain't partners, we ain't brothers, and we ain't friends. What are you people? On dope? I got nowhere else to go! Oh, a replica. I'm afraid! Alright? He likes one quick. Let's get, let's blow it up right away. A glass man. This has a horror house in it. Now that penis had a moment. I'd recognize that penis anywhere. Fuck you two! You! Go clean off my door. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Enough talk! (laughs) Welcome everybody. This is the second in a two-part episode. All about the Academy Awards and the, um... Yeah, it's uh, once again it's award season. Last time yeah. we talked about the acting, we talked about supporting actor and actress, and best actor and actress. And I I feel like, man, it was every one of those categories, every one of those actors, just like unparalleled. It's just Doozy, so good, man. So, yeah. so good. And so uh, and now so now we're gonna we're gonna finish up here talking about best picture, best director, and uh, you know my personal favorite, obviously uh, the the two screenplay awards, right. The Best Picture nominees for this year for 1982 were Gandhi, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Missing, Tootsie, and The Verdict. And the winner, of course, was Gandhi. These are five incredibly different movies. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you could... And you also have movies that are different in terms of the way they are remembered. Definitely. Because the two that are most remembered are probably the ones that were last in the ballot. (laughs) Probably, you're like E.T. and Tootsie. They were yeah. definitely, I mean, that is the number one and number two movie of the year. Was it, do you know off the top of your head? Mm, maybe one and three. Yeah, maybe it's my question to you. Does E.T., if E.T. isn't the number one movie at the box office, this is a rare case where the number one movie at the box office is nominated for Best Picture. Right. Like that does not happen all yeah. the time. When I look at this, I go, I don't know, is is E.T. the best picture? Is E.T.? One of the five. One of the is five. Is what you mean. Can you take that out and put in... A Sophie's s- Choice. A Sophie's Choice, exactly. And then Tootsie, you're like, uh, even if that movie could get made today, it See, never I would think get Tootsie is picture. like I think Tootsie is like E.T. Because that's like a, I think it's, you know, $175 million profit, like, or not profit, right. but like I think it got like at least $175 million at the box office. Uh, so it's just a it was it was hugely popular, you know, that sort of that picture of Dustin Hoffman as Tootsie with the American, the American flag. flag and, yeah. you know, that's sort of an iconic image from the movie that at least people of our age know. Well, mm-hmm. I don't think it applies to just E.T. is what I'm saying. Having said that, there are movies that are more Oscar bait, like Sophie's Choice 
or Francis. I mean, Francis is not that as good a movie as these others, but but a diner. Diner was very popular and Officer and a Gentleman. Officer and Gentleman. Right. Exactly. Huge hit. But this is in a time where you only got five. What do you think about that? Let's apropos of nothing. What do you think about the expanding? I kind of liked it when it was five. Yeah, it was the expanding. It was the biggest mistake they ever made. It's funny to think about that this all happened because of the Dark Knight. Well, and there's there's a case where, you know, the number one movie at the box office that year could have been in the best picture category and probably should have been. Yeah. Whereas, again, looking at this year, you have two of the five as being runaway hits. The runaway hits, right. Of the year uh, landing in the best picture category. It was this, it was this moment where substance and commerce came together came together and and the rising tide lifted all because that's what i was just gonna say because you know despite the fact that one's a a family-oriented picture and not necessarily a comedy but it's got a lot of comedy et i mean it's oh yeah it's going for laughs plenty and then you have an outright comedy in tootsie i don't i don't look at this list and say they should be taken off the list I've seen E.T. in the theater mm-hmm. in the last couple of years, few years. Oh, yeah? How was that? And it was just as enthralling when I saw it then as it was when I was a kid. Mm. And when John Williams' score comes up at the end, I mm-hmm. am welling up. Yeah. You know, it's still effective. It's a really good movie. Um, I, which one of these would you see again in the movie theater? I mean, because of the scale of it, Gandhi maybe. Hell yeah. I would, you know, I would. Because I never got that chance when I was a kid. And we kind of talked about that last week because there's that idea of of some of these movies, a Das Boot or a Gandhi that are, you know, well, Das Boot now with the director's cut. It's over three hours. Yeah. Uh, and it's a long time. It's a long, a long time to sit and watch a movie, you know. I find I mean, those I, movies easier to watch in the movie theater, though, because there's yeah. there's, there's fewer exactly distractions. Right. and yeah, Fewer distractions. But when I'm at home, like you said, like you don't necessarily have to watch it. And Gandhi is is pieced and, and constructed in a way in which it's easy to walk away from it and come back to it. Yeah. And you could pick up anywhere and you're, you're you know. You'll, you could watch, yeah, watch that okay. chapter of his yeah. life. Yeah, right. Yeah. Das Boot, I, I, I would totally see that in the movie theater. Yeah. I never have for the reasons we're talking about. I would like to see it with, with without distractions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would also like to really experience that claustrophobia right. that they were able to do uh, so well. So well, um, you know. And in terms of the 1982 of it all, you know, they they credit uh, Das Boot with the invention of the Steadicam. Mm-hmm. Um, the the cinematographer. I have to tell you, when I watched it for the purposes of of you know for for this podcast, I was kind of flabbergasted at some yeah. of the work that's being done in that movie. It says a lot about Gandhi, by the way, the, like the number of nominations and the number of awards it won in a year that we've been talking about for yes. weeks and weeks and weeks of amazing movies that have stood the test of time that are remembered decades later. Gandhi beat all of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Gandhi was no slouch as a film. So maybe, you know, maybe uh, here we have, you know, here we have a chance to actually go into the experience of watching Gandhi 40 mm-hmm. years later, because of the four awards we're going to talk about today, it won three of them. Yeah. So let's get into it. Yeah. Whether a writer uses a quill pen, a lead pencil, a battered typewriter with missing letters, or a mind-boggling new word processor, he'd better start with an idea. Movies are ideas, and the screenplay is the art form that expresses them. That fact is too often overlooked by audiences and reviewers, but never by those who make the movies. Let's uh, let's talk about the screenplay awards. We'll start with the the adaptations. Okay. Okay, so we've got Missing, mm-hmm. uh, Das Boot, Sophie's Choice, The Verdict, and Victor Victoria. Right. Uh, for adapted screenplay. With the um, winner being Missing. Yeah. I, I I find myself on Team Missing only because I feel like it's an injustice that this movie is not you remembered know, more, re- remembered more, or widely available. Yeah. 
it has a lot to say about fascism and how fast a country can descend into a police state. Um, And also how willing a country is to lie to its own people. Yes. Uh, Like we talked about the last episode, I find the construction of this screenplay kind of beguiling. And I'm... um, I'm so not exactly this, sure what to make of it, yeah, honestly. Yeah, okay. That's interesting you say that because I had the same feeling because there are moments where it takes me a second, but we're clearly in flashback. Yes. And but yes. I, but I and despite the fact that I know it must be a flashback, I'm still kind of struggling to figure out what it is I'm seeing because we're actually going back to to a day we've already seen, but before we saw what we saw. Right. The, so they're, fla- they're flashing back and... Generally speaking, in our uh, as we've come to understand flashbacks, if you see the wavy line, they didn't do wavy lines, but if you yeah. if you indicate a flashback, generally speaking, I would I just assume the flashback is at least a year ago, right? Yes, <laughs> right. I right. just like that. right unless you tell me otherwise, I'm just going to think, <laughs> well, this is at least a year ago. <laughs> this movie is like we're going to flashback to five minutes before. What you just what saw. you just saw, yeah, yeah, um, and so in that way, I think that and it does it a few times. Yes, it does it a few times, and it does it in a way that um, takes this main, it takes the character of Charlie, the character who goes missing. You know, he has this friend, work colleague, this mm-hmm. woman that he yeah. works with and travels with, and sort of goes on little vacations with. And you're kind of like, wait, were they having an affair? Right. And then you have Jack Lemon coming in and saying asking the same question yeah he he comes in and goes like was was he having an affair with her like what was and sissy spacex just like i don't want to talk about it well but it's not just that it's not like i don't want to talk about it in the sense of yes there's obviously something between them it was more we're not going to talk about this because you don't have a clue in the world what you're talking right. about that it totally you're totally right uh, you know? she, yeah she wasn't trying to hide anything she was trying to keep him on point yeah yeah, and trying to like say like, look, first things first. And I, um, it's funny because the, you know this movie does win the Academy Award for writing. It's one of, like you said, it's beguiling, but it's it's one of the more interesting aspects of the movie. And I, you know, because there are moments where I would even say, you know, that it's to the the movie's detriment when when the two friends are taken away, the the other the, the other writers. Yeah. Because then we see a flashback of them, but I had assumed that they had both already been released because it sounded like that's what we talked about. So I didn't know we were in a flashback then. Yeah. You know, so there are those moments in the movie. But I do think it's interesting in the way in, in which the movie, because it's doing those things, it kind of forces you to lean in. Yeah, you you absolutely. It draws you. It's got gravity. It's got pull. It doesn't spoon feed you. Um, right. You you have to you have to be able to see something and just hold on to it, like knowing that you're going to get back to it. Like you don't. Yeah. You're going to see something. You're like, okay, that doesn't totally make sense right now, but it will. There, the, watching this movie, feel totally confident that this that the filmmaker slash screenwriter uh, Costa Gavras will get you there. Yeah. But he's not going to get you there directly. He's gonna. Right. He's gonna. He's going to take some turns and they're going to feel like wrong turns, but they're not. Right. They're not wrong turns. You just have to. So that's why for me, that was the beguiling part of it. Because as I was watching it, I was like, I didn't know whose movie it was. At the beginning, I was like, this is mm-hmm. Charlie's movie. And then then we switched to. Charlie's gone. Well, even before he's gone, we switched to Sissy Spacek. And, and yeah, you're right. What's really I, I love this scene. This is this is. One of my favorite scenes of the movie is Charlie's abduction because you don't see it. Mm-hmm. You don't see it because you she wasn't home that night. Yeah. And w- instead of showing his abduction, we switch well, points your... of view to her point of view. And yeah. she spends the night trying On the to. Streets. Yeah. She spends the night like trying, trying to, to like stay hidden. Yeah. Trying to avoid and you're the curfew. And so wrapped up in her. Yes. That by the time she comes home and you <gasps> see the wreck that the home is. Oh. You know, you as the viewer go, oh, shit. It was such a roller coaster because you're riding her wave and you yeah. feel like you're safe. 
You you realize yes. that the best thing that happened to her was that she couldn't get home and had to spend the night yes. on the street alone and frightened. Yes. Otherwise, she'd probably be dead. It was so brilliantly shot. Yeah. It was so brilliantly acted. Like I was all in at that moment. Like yeah. and 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 it was so beautiful. And I was like, oh my god, this is Sissy Spacek's movie. She's gonna like go and try to find her husband. And that's and what she Jack does. Shows but up. then it's like the next yeah. scene, you see Jack <laughs> Lemon in the airport going like, all right, everybody. Or not even the airport. You see him in like in DC, like in oh, a that's right. senator's that's right. office, that's right. you know? Yes. Yeah. And, and suddenly like weeks have passed. Right. And you're like, oh, wait. And so again, like th- I look at these nominations for adapted screenplay, Missing, Das Boot, Sophie's Choice, The Verdict, and Victor Victoria. And... For like for me, if I had to take it away from missing, I would have given it to the verdict. That's mine too. You know, I think David Mamet. Uh, you know, I, I I I've I've had my own roller coaster ride with his work. You know, I studied it a lot in in, right. in college, and you know, like it's a lot. It's possible of, he's a reprehensible person, but oh, completely. Um, <laughs> but but he he writes with a a, a spareness and a precision yes, um, that. Right looks a lot easier than it is. I have sort of an appreciation, I guess, for mm-hmm. the work that he did in The Verdict because it's so straightforward. Um, yeah. And because... And everything about it. You know, yeah. the characters, the law. Yeah. And, and and whereas Missing is turning corners and double backing and taking you down alleys that open up into stadiums, like, yeah, that is a different kind of story and a different kind of structure. The verdict is like, no, 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 no. Here's the train. You're getting on yeah. the train and we're right. going to go in one direction. And that's, wh- and that's where we're going to go. And, and it all, it's all going to take place on the train. And it's just a different, it's, I don't know. It's a different brief. It's a different job yeah. that you have to do. But by the same token, you could, you could say you have something completely different than both of them and say like a Sophie's choice. It's present day for the characters, but we're going to flash back. When we choose to do that is different than almost any movie I've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. What we're choosing to show people, when we're choosing to show it to them. You know, there's something really interesting strictly within the writing of that movie. I don't think it rises to the level of the verdict for me, but it's close. It's, re- it's, it's a well-crafted screenplay. Yeah. It's, it, it is. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Just like we were saying about the best pictures, this is kind of a, this is a, a potpourri. I mean, uh, right. Two of the th- two of the five are non-American. Yes, they're all white men, um, but everybody right. in every movie. Nineteen eighty-two. It's nineteen eighty-two. Everybody. Um, you know, if you, it's if you haven't picked up on this by now, um, mm-hmm. but two of them are non-American. Four of them are the director of that film. One of them is a playwright, but is starting a screenwriting career that will include, you know, the untouchables and, you know, other, yeah. other such, uh, uh, films like, you know, great movies. Um, yeah. and, uh, and then Blake Edwards, you have, I, I don't know. He's to me, he's like, Blake the, Edwards is like an entity unto himself. Yeah, he's, 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 he's his own thing. He, yeah. He's this, um, he's this guy that's kind of been around forever and making movies and silly movies at that. And this, mm-hmm. and Victor Victoria is a kind of, is a kind of bauble that flirts, with being kind of about something, but for yeah. me, never really becomes about never gets anything. There. Yeah. But it it really flirts with being about about something, and in some ways, it's really wild. I mean, we talked about this, but that movie is like, I look at that movie and I see Victor slash Victoria, and I think the movie itself sort of has a slash mark yeah. in the middle of yeah, it, it because does. because half of the movie is ahead of its time, and the other half is so it's retrograde, so regressive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once James Garner gets involved, oh, you're like, oh fuck. So yeah, you're you're. It, it is a movie and that's, cleft you know, it's in interesting two. Because James Garner is such a, you know, a, a remarkably charming actor himself. Yes. So to have this loathsome kind of guy. Yeah, he in got the middle of the movie. The character. He got the shit end of yeah. that movie. <laughs> he really did. <laughs> he the did. The fuzzy end of the lollipop oh, went my to God. James Garner. He's, he certainly was fuzzy. <laughs> uh, so is there? Uh, you know, I don't. Uh, I, 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 if I had done my homework, I would have uh, uh, made a list of all the other films that had been adapted that year. Um, but is there, uh, yeah. yeah, so I can't say like, oh, get a, but is there one that you, um, 
that you would uh, put put on there? I mean, one of the overlooks. I mean, nothing is jumping out at me. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're gonna put Rocky Three into this. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh God, no. God, uh, no. Or Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Well, but that's. I think that was a faulty adaptation, as a matter of fact. From what I yeah, understand yeah, of the yeah, original, yeah. what I understand of the original Broadway play, that play sounds a lot better than the movie. Mm -hmm. You know, and this is. I one remember of, talking about that. Yeah, this is one of the things with this category that I always find uh, frustrating is that I kind of. How about Halloween Three? Well, just okay. kidding. Just kidding. Okay, all right. <laughs> one of the things I find frustrating about this. Uh, about this category is that, uh, and maybe I should just do this, is that I don't know what, I haven't read the novel of Sophie's Choice. I haven't read the novel yeah, Das right. Boot. I haven't read, I didn't see the original Victor Victoria, the original German film. I didn't, you know, I didn't read uh, uh, The Execution of Charles Horman. I have, a, I have, a, I've adapted a number of books over the years and it's a, it's a very different job. Um, I approach adaptation in a, in a Darwinian sense of the word, mm. which means like if you take a fish out of water and you put it on land, like it's going to die. It's going to suffocate and die. It has to adapt to land. Yeah. So you can't just take a story out of a novel and put it on film and expect it to breathe or and to live. It's just going to die. Right. So a, an adaptation has to occur because the, the two forms. They're different mediums. Yeah, they, they're different mediums. They follow different rules, etc. And so I just want the movie or the screenplay to leave the reader with the same feeling as the right, reader of exactly. the book. How you get there is how you get there. Um, and that's the, the subject of adaptation. But if it can leave the same emotional footprint as the book left on me, then I feel like that's a successful adaptation. Um, and as far as, let's, I mean, switching gears to original screenplay. Yeah. Here are the, here are the nominees, Gandhi, Diner, E.T., An Officer and a Gentleman, and Tootsie. Um, and the winner, of course, being Gandhi. Right. I, I actually find Gandhi, Gandhi's screenplay to be the weakest part about it. Mm -hmm. This is, this is one where I would, I would take it away from Gandhi. I don't think that was the best screenplay. I don't disagree. And except maybe for E.T., although even, e I don't know. I would definitely take Diner, Officer, and a Gentleman, or, or Tootsie over Gandhi. Of that list, Tootsie's my winner. Officer and a Gentleman, maybe not a close second, but a, a not too distant second. But Tootsie by far, I think, is the winner of this category. I, I would agree. and But I would also, um, I would take out... I would take out E.T. All right, right. And I would put in my favorite year. I might even take out Gandhi and put in my favorite year, only because mm. that the my favorite year screenplay is really fucking good. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Like, like, oh my God, there's not a wasted frame of that movie. There's not a wasted word in right. that. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's still really good. It's f completely formulaic and... I love it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so yeah. I mean, so kill me. I mean, I, I, it's completely formulaic, and I totally love it. But I know what you mean because when I watch my favorite year, I just feel like I'm being wrapped up in a warm blanket. Like it just makes me happy. Yes, narratively, I don't think it's trying to challenge you or break any new ground. No. And so, if that's the criteria for best screenplay. It even has, you know, it's, it even, you know, what I like about it too, is it, it's even surprising in the sense of when you meet Peter O'Toole, mm -hmm. you think you're going to get that for the next 85 minutes and you don't really, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's, you know, he shows up and when he does show up, he's drunk. Yes. But, but then <laughs> they wheel him in, to, <laughs> which is just a great bit mm -hmm. when he's getting wheeled in on his luggage. Uh, but when he wakes up, he's coherent, and there's not a lot of hijinks at the studio, which is what you think you're going to get, like a week's, a few days of rehearsal with hijinks. Well, Instead, he's meeting his family. He's, yes. You know. Well, this is this was the thing about um, the bet. 
So the, the, the whole second act of this film is a, is the stakes of a bet, which is yeah. um, Benji, you have to make sure he shows up on time and sober to every yeah. rehearsal this week. That's your second act. He has to stay sober. So to your point, the drunk has to stay sober. So through the half of the movie, he's sober. But but the movie makes you think that it's going to be him sneaking drinks and yes. him trying to find him out and him... You think that's what the movie's going to be, and it's never that. No. He's drunk. And that's smart. He's, he's drunk in Act 1, Act 3, and for the rooftop scene at the middle of Act yeah. 2. But that's it. The rest of the time, he is sober and enjoying himself and feeling things and trying to impact Benji's life, but also letting Benji impact his. And the scene... Mm-hmm. This, here's the thing. The scene at, his, at Benji's house... Yeah. Uh, for dinner i i could watch that scene on loop yeah, um right. forever you know and and i was just gonna say i adore that scene i adore that scene because this is to me like where you can do a lot within the framework of a formulaic screenplay so mm-hmm. he so the formula is you got to go to uh brooklyn to benji's house to have dinner with his family. You got to bring a movie star to Brooklyn. That's the comic setup, right? Mm-hmm. And you could just leave it at that and play that joke. But they also have this added layer of Benji's mom uh, remarried after his dad died. And she remarried the uh, rookie karaoke, the Filipino bantamweight. It's and amazing. who who still who like does house chores in his boxing robe? And oh my god, what he's doing is chores, and yeah. then he turns around and you see that the robe is his boxing yes. robe. <laughs> like it's hilarious. I just, I, <laughs> it's it's a detail that they absolutely it's didn't so need. Sublime. No, it's it's completely sublime. It's a detail that they didn't need, and you're like, great, what a great detail. But then in this in this set piece where they're gonna go have dinner, right? When Peter they, O'Toole when shows Peter, up, Peter O'Toole shows up, and he recognizes Ricky. He knows like, him. I've seen you fight, and yeah. and. For me, like this totally unnecessary joke then becomes integral to this set yeah. piece. <laughs> it's 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 joke on top of joke. All of these, uh, uh, this screenplay was was based on, you know, the uh, show of shows, and it was based on like Mel Brooks's uh, uh, experience. Life is a page. Yeah, his experience on show of shows. Benji uh, is is based on uh, Woody Allen. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm forgetting the character's name, the guy who won't talk, Herb, who won't talk. Yeah. He's based on Neil Simon, who used to yes. do the exact same thing. So, and, 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 uh, and Sid Caesar. And Sid Caesar is, was, is, is the show, it, the, you yeah, know. is, uh, is King Kaiser. King. So this movie is loaded with so much like, uh, truth from anecdote. Yeah. You know? Right. That it, it makes it like, super rich and specific and textured, even in the context of this incredibly uh, rigid formulaic story, 90 mm-hmm. minute movie. Like if you want to learn what a 90 minute movie is, watch this movie, fuck star Wars. Stop, stop learning about screenplays from star Wars. Start, yeah, right. start watching my favorite year. I mean, because yeah. it is, it's a, a steel, steel trap. I mean, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I would I would absolutely advocate for my favorite year in uh, in original screenplay uh, in the category. That's I my, would too. Um, uh, Gandhi for me, you know, the thing about uh, Gandhi is so it's about Gandhi, and it's and a lot of it is from his point of view, which is great. Mm-hmm. But just as much of it is told really from the point of view of the of the white people that kind of come into his life and observe around him. him. Right. You know, the Martin Sheens, the Candace Bergens who are kind of like, who is this guy? And I'm going to write, I'm going to be a journalist and I'm going to write a story about this guy or I'm well, going to. And so, you know, you, you, you see, you see, if you look up the movie, you see that John Gilgood is going to be in this movie and you yes. see that Candace Bergen is going to be in this movie. And then you're about two hours into a three hour and 15 minute movie. And you realize I haven't seen John Gilgood. Or Candace Bergen. Where is or, Candace yeah, Bergen? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. Exactly, and and I feel like it was in the construction of the screenplay, and and may, I I don't know if that's you had to have all of these white characters in there to get the movie made because you had to put maybe stars in there. I don't know. I don't but know. But I also about noticed that, other but... things. You know, 
when you first meet Gandhi, you you see him putting his arms out to his children, and then you never really see his children again, yeah. do you? Until a white woman shows up and says, he says, you're going to be my child now. And and even through the eyes of Gandhi, I mean, maybe it's by the nature of the man himself, but there's this, in the writing, you're kind, you're, you never have a sense of, is the first thing that we saw the driving force behind all of this? Mm. You know, when he was mm-hmm. on the train and got thrown off? Mm-hmm. Is it all because of that? Right. Because or... it seems like it's more than that. <laughs> Yes. But there's nothing within the writing, within the script itself to tell us what that is. Was he more complicated? Did he like this attention? Did he like being thought of mm-hmm. as a godlike figure? He was a more humble man than that, though. Yeah. So, like, what is it? What is it about him? I, I, agree. I was left with the same questions uh, that I was... Um, uh, and they're just sort of never answered. No, or that you have to... You have to sort of meditate on the question and 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 just kind of make a call. Like the movie's not gonna not gonna answer that question you. for you. Yeah, and maybe that is by design. I don't know, but it seems like that would be more the design of Attenborough's direction than this writer. Perhaps this is a movie that he was trying to get made for twenty years. Yeah, and so the the screenplay was written over the course of that twenty years and probably changed hands many times. So it feels like. It wants to just be a cradle-to-grave telling of this man's life in the way that you would have a Ken Burns documentary about Gandhi, where it's not trying to tell a single dramatic story. It's more Mm -hmm. saying, like, here's his whole life, and we're going to start as early as we can, and we're going to go up to the moment of his death. And in that way, it has the same dramatic structure as The World According to Garp. It's just an hour and a half longer. And, And in the same way, like, you watch World According to Garp, I don't know what that whole journey was about, mm-hmm. but it's a journey of chapters and each chapter is really captivating right. and there, and it seems to be meditations on a theme. Um, and so, but as a whole, but as a whole, it's not, a, it doesn't, it, it's not a cohesive dramatic event or a dramatic, like, like to me, like I watch this, I watch this movie now and I, and maybe it's a bit of cynicism. I go like, well, this would never get made now, first of all, but even if it did, it would be a miniseries. Because yeah. because he, the the scope of his life was so big and it included so many different distinct chapters that you would really want to put an hour to each chapter, mm-hmm. you know. And this, it'd be know, a seven eight part exactly HBO exactly. Yeah. It'd be it'd be Gan- John Adams style exactly. It would be Gandhi yeah. writ large over the course of eight hours, and you wouldn't expect you don't expect one story to go eight hours. You expect many stories. Yeah, you know, right. you. So I feel like um, uh, the structure of this wasn't the best movie structure. That's it. But it, but as you're saying, is that by design? Is that just the nature of epic? Is that mm-hmm. the nature of biography? Of certain, the man himself, right? I mean, because certainly, like, you know, the screenplay for Francis, it, it sort of has the same structure, yeah. which is just like we're going to start as early as we can in her life, and we're going to go up to the point of her. Not her 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 death death, but her spiritual death, her lobotomy. Spiritual death, yeah, right. Um, and this cradle to grave approach to biographies was something that we we actually don't see it very much now. Right now, it's like if you're going to tell the biography of somebody, you'll find like the one moment in their life that said it all. You know, mm-hmm. you don't do a you know a, you don't do a biography of Abby Hoffman now. You do a movie about the trial of Chicago Seven. So yeah. maybe right. this is just an old. It feels movie. This movie feels old to me in so many ways, but in other ways, it does right. feel like I would watch it today and get just as much out of it. Yeah, right. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the eminent, illustrious, charming, funny, and magnificent Billy Wilder. It says in the Bible, in the fifth book of the New Testament, chapter 20, verse 35, it says there, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I don't believe that. (laughs) Uh, Here then are the, the, the nominations for this year's Director's Award, and the nominees are 
Wolfgang Petersen in das Boot. Steven Spielberg for E.T., the extraterrestrial. Richard Attenborough for Gandhi. Sidney Pollack for Tutsi. And Sidney Lamet for the verdict. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is your verdict. The winner is Richard Attenborough for Gandhi. All right, Matt, let's talk uh, directing. There's a lot of overlap here. There's a lot of overlap, but I, I can't help but just like pause at that list again. I know. I mean, giants, every one of them. Um, I got to tell you. Well, first of all, let's just say I think we already know, but Gandhi was the winner. Yes. So Richard Attenborough won this award. Again, to me, unlike in the writing category, this is a hard award to take away from him. Uh, just based on the sheer scale of the movie. Yeah. It's impressive. And then on top of that, it is well-directed, like mm-hmm. individually, piece by piece. Mm-hmm. You're seeing amazing things. When they're walking towards, and they're still in South Africa, and they're walking towards the, the men on horses, and the horses start coming to them, and they say, lie down, lie down. Like, if they're going to go past us, they have to trample us. Mm-hmm. And then you have the shots of the horses right on top of their heads, basically. And you're seeing what it is from the character's point of view. It's frightening. Yeah. But it's well directed. Like he's yes. he's putting that fear into us, you know? You'd be hard pressed to say, sorry, Attenborough, you don't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like looking at the pyramids and going like, it's nice, but you know, right. I, I I prefer I have some notes. I have notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I yes, I couldn't agree more. I think um, we talked about some of the invention that had to happen to film Das Boot in the way that it was filmed yeah. and the kind of commitment that, that a movie like that took and the vision that a movie like that took. Wolfgang Peterson and the one thing that that deserves movie the has, nomination. Yeah, the one thing that that movie has that the others don't is not, not as big a budget. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you see how hamstrung Wolfgang Peterson was mon- monetarily. Yeah. And so when depth charges are going off, you can you can tell that we are reusing some shots. Yeah. But he finds different angles. He he zooms in closer. He you know, he's still doing something to try and give you visually a different experience. Yeah. And then, you know, the idea of like his use of models and maybe by today's standards, you can still tell that there are models, but but the way they're used are, are very clever and really well done. Yeah, he masks the models really well because it's really impressive. Through, like because they're they're sort of underwater, um, yeah. and so or through uh, smoke, um, he obscures the view of the model so that you yeah. can't quite tell it's a model. Frankly, Steven Spielberg does the same thing. Yeah. E.T. He obscures the puppet by right. showing it in right. shadow, through smoke, uh, only partial shots of of the body whipping by. Mm-hmm. So that he he like in Jaws, he never lets you look too long at E.T. Right. Um, at the he ho- learned a lesson on Jaws. He did. He did. And it's then like directorially, a, of course, he's at the height of his lens flare power. So he, yes, this is when he's <laughs> establishing the the language of the lens flare. You know, yeah. they're they're creating it in real time, and it's a really um, it's a new look. I don't right. begrudge any of these nominations. Uh, t- to me, I don't know. I have to give a, a, a give a shout out to Sidney Lumet. Um, me too. I think I referenced it in our last episode. We were talking about performances, and I was mentioning Paul Newman, and I said, "I got to tell you though, he's helped out a lot of, you know, an awful lot by Sidney Lumet on his sum, the his summation speech." Yeah. As that, you know, just one shot and the camera just keeps slowly moving into him until you all of a sudden you realize you're right on top of Paul Newman Mm -hmm. and you don't realize it happened. And also the scene for me is when he finds out that he's been lied to Mm -hmm. on the street, Mm -hmm. but you're not Mm -hmm. hearing the dialogue. You're hearing the sound of traffic 
and you're seeing it from the building across the street. Yeah. It's a great shot. It's a great shot. And it's a, it's, it's counterintuitive. It, exactly. You don't think another director would probably have done that. Sidney Lumet is, um, I think he's a pillar, but I don't know if he's a household name in the way that, right. you know, Steven Spielberg certainly is a household name. People know Richard Attenborough, mostly probably from his acting roles in Jurassic right. Park and Jurassic all that. Park. And Wolfgang Peterson, you know, probably not a, a household name, but people have definitely seen his movies. And, you know, yeah. he's, he's gone on to make some pretty great some movies. Big ones. Some big ones. Yeah. Um, and Sidney Pollack also, if you, you know, he, he had an acting career that kind of gave him name and facial recognition. I got to tell you, I know this is the directing category, but yeah. he is a really great actor, too. <laughs> and he's really good in Tootsie. And he's great in Tootsie. Yeah. When, when Dustin Hoffman shows up at that restaurant. Oh, yeah. It's comedy gold. Completely comedy. So just a little shout out for yes. his acting abilities Shout out as well. to Sidney Pollack for directing himself in a comedy and yeah. having some memorable lines. You know, when he was like, right. you were a tomato. <laughs> tomato doesn't have feelings. I um, begged you to get some help. <laughs> uh, for me, like Sidney Lumet, he's like the, um, he's like the John Casal of, of, yeah. of film. Like Sidney Lumet never won an Oscar. Other than an, crazy. He, an honorary, he got an honorary Oscar, but yeah. in all of his movies and all of his nominations never won. But you look at his body of work and you go, Jesus Christ, like it, if you could achieve a tenth right. of what he achieved, always just making movies that, I mean, that spoke to him. and that Never falling off either. And, and when you're talking about iconic movies... You know, at the be- not maybe the beginning of his career, but like the beginning of his movie career, when you're mm-hmm. talking about a movie like Twelve Angry Men, yeah, and you finish with movies like Night Falls on Manhattan or Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Before the Devil Knows You're Dead is an insanely underrated movie. And plus, this guy directed Dog Day Afternoon and Network. I mean, like, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Serpico. I mean, you know, give give us a small break, Sydney. Yeah. How good are you? I, I sort of hold him in the same regard as, you know, sort of the Scorsese's of the world and, and yeah. all of that. I feel like he's um, he's in that discussion, um, certainly of this t- of this time. He's kind of at the top of his game and he's working with amazing actors on yeah. serious pieces and making movies that are just as good today as 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 they yeah. were. Any uh, any any omissions that you uh, that you see? I mean, I don't know that we've done another movie that, you know, if you're going to kick any movie out, I guess the one that's closest is E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Mm-hmm. Do you, but what do you replace it do with? Do you throw Taylor Hackford in there? Do you throw... That's the, that's the first thing that came to mind, because we talked about the simplicity of the, mm-hmm. uh I Got Nowhere Else to Go. Do you throw Barry Levinson in there? I don't think I do, Barry Levinson. Like, if I'm going to pick between Taylor Hackford and Steven Spielberg, I think Steven Spielberg makes his presence felt more in E.T. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. Like you said, he's he's inventing something new that we take for granted now. You know, we, 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 we talked, like, with with Sidney Lumet or Alan J. Pakula. It's not from this year, but we talked about how much I love All the President's Men and mm-hmm. I... You know, there is something what all the president's men does is it reminds you how great a movie can be when the camera is just sitting on stilts. Right. Right. It's just pointing at the action and letting the actors do the work. Yeah. Uh, You don't. the camera doesn't always have to be moving. We don't have to have a cut every point five to one point five seconds. I actually find that very (laughs) distracting. No, you you and I are on the same porch waving our canes at that yeah at that. We're, we're, i mean yeah. it's a yeah it's a bit of a get off my lawn but. i'll say uh, i'll throw a i'll throw a uh, an honorable mention in here only because uh you know i've been listening to uh there's a great podcast called you must remember this and i love the, that podcast yes yeah, this season she's uh, uh she's talking about films of the 80s and there's some overlap she she did a great episode on fast times at ridgemont high and so uh, I'll, I'll give mm. a shout out to Amy Heckerling. Here. Amy Heckerling, yeah. In listening to what is absolutely a better podcast than this, so please go out and listen to this. Um, to you must remember this. But in listening <laughs> to her um, her discussion about Fast Times, I I got a, a much deeper appreciation for 
the movie itself for the movie but also what heckerling sort of brought to the party and we talked about it in our episode on fast times we were talking about the scenes oh i think she brings a lot to that movie she does and like so like the scene where jennifer jason lee character is losing her virginity right and 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 it's really shot from her point of view it's not it's not the male gaze in that scene it is absolutely what she is seeing and how overwhelming it is and weird and kind of and she wanted to take it a step further in that scene by showing the male nudity. Yes. But they wouldn't let her. In addition to this, so so what they talk about on You Must Remember This is in that there is a an early cut of that film yeah. um, that also showed her abortion, like took her into the room. Like we, they filmed that. And because she really wanted to show what, what that mm-hmm. experience was. Ultimately, the studio forced her to cut the scene because wow. it, it it was kind of, a, I guess, a downer on what they wanted, which was they wanted to capture the Porky's audience. They wanted Spicoli. No, they wanted the Porky's audience that had proven. As but we I'm talked saying about, Spicoli yes. is the link to that Absolutely. kind of audience. It was all Spicoli all the time. Yeah. And so the very real trauma that uh, that this... 16 year old girl was going through was uh, uh, too much of a wet blanket for the studio and they forced them they forced her to cut that that scene so uh, all this is to say like there's a cut of that movie out of the out there that's even better than the movie and and shows really what amy heckerling was bringing to the party and what she was able to do in the context of a system that was not built for her the right. system was not setting her up for success, yet well, she was still able to make an amazing movie. movie. So, right. When you think back on that movie, she's able to show a lot. You talked about the male gaze, but you do have a male fantasy scene. Yes. But, the, but it's high, you know, but it's heightened. It's it's well, it's but it's also tempered by like you keep cutting to reality. This male fantasy right, scene, exactly. you keep cutting to reality. And you, exactly, of, of Judge Reinhold. Cut to the ugliness of it. Yes. <laughs> yes, in his brain, she's you know, Phoebe Cates is like is is dripping wet and coming out of the pool and and removing her bathing and suit. And there's a spray of water behind right, her. Right, you right. know. But then there's they, mist and there's. But then they just keep cutting to Judge Reinhold masturbating on a toilet. You know. And it's it's like, it's what makes that scene memorable. It's what makes that movie better than people maybe remember it. Yeah, exactly. I kind of have to give a shout out to Amy Heckerling for what she was able to do, given the the, uh, confines that she was in. So that leaves us with uh, with the best picture, um, right, Mike? And we've got we as as we've said many times here, Gandhi, E.T. missing, Tootsie, the verdict. Gandhi wins it. Do you still give it to Gandhi in the same way that you still give it to Attenborough, just for its size and? It is difficult again, I think, to take it away. Um, maybe less difficult than director, though. Hmm. I think we mentioned this in the last episode. If it was any other year than 1982, I think the verdict takes home a lot of prizes and it takes home no prizes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I think Gandhi, like I said, it's kind of sucked the oxygen out of the room. And for me, that's the movie. Mm -hmm. That's the one I gravitate towards the most. The verdict. The verdict. Yeah. For me personally, the movie of all of those, the movie I've seen the most in my life is Tootsie. Oh, Tootsie. So isn't shouldn't Actually, that Tootsie be, and E.T. I've seen Tootsie more than E.T. Definitely. I've um, seen Tootsie more than E.T., but I mean E.T.'s up there. E.T.'s up there. And so I mean, that would be mostly you know what's funny about that is that would be mostly based on all the times I saw it when I was a kid through my teenage years yeah and then you never saw you never and then watched I stopped ET watching it yeah, yeah. and then like from then on I've, I've probably seen it maybe three or four times max mm-hmm. but tootsie you know every once in a while throughout like, my life yeah so yeah it, it's it's slow and steady right, right. yeah it, it, it starts it doesn't start as hot out of the gate as et right but you ca- it catches up fast, and right, right, and you and you find yourself um, sort of enjoying different parts of it as 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 you go on. Mm-hmm. And so, like, isn't that the should I, again? This is hindsight, but isn't that part of the the looking at this list now? 
you can say in the moment, yes, Gandhi felt like the best picture because it was the biggest. It was right. The, it was the grandest. Well, that's the best picture trapping, isn't it? Is it? it, it this I is don't think we, it is anymore. Maybe not anymore, but certainly at this time. Yes. And in fact, maybe at this time is maybe Gandhi represents one of the last times we're going to stick with that because it's not too sh- late, too much later. Right. A passage to India. Well, it doesn't win. So the year before is Chariots of Fire. Yeah. The year after is Terms of Endearment. And then we go Amadeus. Then out of Africa. Talk about okay. Sidney Pollack. That kind of throws. Yeah. Good. We, we go back a little bit. Platoon after that. Yeah. Epic, a different kind of epic. The Last Emperor, another epic. Um, Then we go Rain Man driving Miss Daisy. And then we're back on epic with Dances Dances with with Wolves. wolves. Silence of the Lambs, Unforgiven. Then we're back on epic with Schindler's List. Uh, You know, Forrest Gump, back on epic with Braveheart. English Patient, Titanic. Then we're off epic. We're going Shakespeare in Love, American Beauty. Back on epic, Gladiator. And then a couple mm. years later, it's Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. All right. Um, so the epic is still ingrained. It's a style of best picture. It feels like a best picture. It's like it's mm-hmm. like it's the truthiness of best picture. Like it feels true. It feels like a best picture. And I think it, it, it gets a it gets a vote because of that. Would you take any out? Are there any that uh, you thought deserved a slot? If or, or I say like if if you could nominate more than five the way that they mm-hmm. do now. What other movies would you throw in there? It's funny how much I, especially on this viewing, I really responded once again to Officer and a Gentleman. Yeah. But it's funny what you respond to, because I feel like I, I'm I'm so locked in on that movie on performances. Is that enough to guide it towards best picture, though? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I spoke to this when we were discussing it on the last episode. I think it's relevant to today in terms of what we're dealing with in mental health. Like, I, it's still relevant. And in that way, it's lasting. And in that way, I think it deserves a spot, probably. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I think if you were to expand it, I don't know if you take out one to put... To That's put, the thing, is to that... To put Officer and Gentleman in there. Are you going to say, so long, missing? That's that's a hard ask. That's... <laughs> Uh, (laughs) that's a hard Um, ask (laughs) you know i'm not going to tell missing to go away you have to go tell missing to go away because i'm not going to do it i'm reminded i'm reminded of uh when we were gonna have to tell a roommate that we were gonna move out and we agreed that you would tell her and when we sat down you said we have something to tell you mike fuck <laughs> how did i get saddled with this yeah, chore that, that sounds like me that checks out it's a good line it's a good joke that was probably i was totally solid i was probably just writing the scene in my head instead of actually living my life well, I, well so what about for you i mean is is there one that stands out as one you does doesn't is undeserving no, the only one that is on the margin for me is is E.T. only because I think I suffer from the same bias that Academy voters suffer uh, from, which is like if it's not if it's for kids, it's not uh, it must not be serious. It's not worthy. You know, E.T. is is, is still a, a pretty spectacular film to watch and yeah. it's incredibly moving. And um, E.T. will put kids through a ringer. In a way that, like, kids' movies don't usually do. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's it's a boy and but his But it literally dog. ends with a rainbow. Yeah, yeah. It's a... <laughs> I guess I look at that and I go, oh, they just threw E.T. a bone because it was the top grossing film of the year. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a very but fair... But I think it's a little reductive. Yeah, I think I, it's reductive I, yeah. to say that. I, you I, know? I, I agree. I don't think that's a fair thing to say. But I'd be lying if, if, I, if I said that that, did, that impulse... That I don't have that impulse and that thought isn't in my head to not treat E.T. Right. as seriously because it was such a commercial success and such a, a cultural touchstone. Um, you well, know. and you get a you get a directing nom and a writing nom for Das Boot, but no best picture. Yeah. And 
and, and if there's another epic quality movie that oh, feels completely. like it should be there. Absolutely. Again, you talk about any other year, but I also think, you know, certainly in 1982. Um, a movie about Germans. No, I just made a subtitled movie. A, oh, yeah. a subtitled movie I don't think is getting Best Picture nomination. I think it's 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 many years before you get a subtitled movie. Um, but I would give a shout out. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll talk out of the other side of my mouth right now because I, I will give a shout out. And if I had to put in another movie, a sixth movie, I, I would honestly would put in like The Secret of Nim. Um, mm. if, if E.T. gets to be there, I feel like The Secret of right. Nim gets to be there, too, because Don Bluth is doing just as much inventive stuff. He's definitely running counter to a lot of animation tropes. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not a musical, it's like, it's, it's not a fairy tale. It's, you know, the, the sort of the Disney mold, he was breaking the Disney mold in a lot of ways. And because it's a kid's movie, it's, it's not going to get the kind of respect. So, but let me ask you this, because I mean, I just, I started this little segment on best picture by saying, you know, do you take, you know, what do you say? You're out of here missing. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like a tough ask is what I said. And like, there's just no way you could do it. But having said that. It has all these nominations. It only wins the one. If you were to tell, ask any average person, hey, have you seen Missing? All of them would probably say no. They don't know what you're talking about. It's not remembered like all the 19, other 1982 movies. So yeah. playing devil's advocate, could you take it off the board of all of these and replace it with something else? If if you're, if yeah, I guess if you're, if you're giving out your own awards for like longest lasting. Right. Maybe, but I, I I I don't know. I'll I'll throw that right back at you because both of us watched this movie and and thought this is a contemporary story. Yeah, and that's why I keep coming back to it. This is not like a movie that has kind of been da- that has like dated itself out. And you're like, right? Oh, I guess in 1982 they thought that this was that this was good or powerful, but yeah, instead not... it should be the gem we revisit. Yeah. Like that. And that... it should be easier to find so we could do that. <laughs> right. This is, <laughs> this is the, the, that's the thing about, about missing is I don't think I would take it off because I think it has aged incredibly well. Yeah. There are shots in that movie. I'm never going to forget when he, when yeah. they're walking through that morgue and they look up and there's the, bodies the, on the bo- ceiling. I was just going to say the bodies Fuck on top me. of the, yeah. Like there are, and that's oh my god! In the scene in the stadium where he's calling out to his son, like this is this is like these are. Well, when he thinks he sees yes! his son. Oh my god! These are heartbreaking moments. Great in performance, how they're filmed. His, it's, the, yeah. like to see the elation in his heart yes. for a brief moment. <gasps> but you look next to him and sees that Sissy Spacek knows it's not him, and we know it's not him either. And, and we, we know oh it's god. not him. It's and and it's yes, it's devastating. De- yes, it's <laughs> devastating. The, I think for me, like if I'm giving out awards, the, the missing wins the um, "Where have you been all my life?" award. Yeah, you right. know, like like I, I it's a I, I, I'm sad that it took me so long to see this. Uh, I'm really glad I saw it in in doing my little. Uh, I little... think I was convinced I had seen it. You know, there, there sometimes there's those movies where you're like, oh yeah, I know that movie, yeah. and then it starts, and I'm like, whoa. I, there was another I movie. I haven't seen this movie. There was another movie called Missing that was out in the early '80s with Judd Hirsch about a missing child, and he like. Well, and had, there's the Ron Howard film, The Missing. And then there's The Missing too. Yeah. 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 It's one of those titles where you're like, oh, I've seen yeah. that. But this is one of those films where I was like, Wow, this is. There's been a couple, but this is yeah. definitely one of them for me. That um, I'm glad. Again, ironically, I'm glad I found Missing. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll have to. Give me back the DVD or something like that. We're gonna have to just yeah, pass I'm it. Gonna have to send it we're, back. We're gonna have to pass it or back and forth. Send it back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> to, to get repeat viewings of missing. Uh, final thoughts. I mean, you know, salt, no salt. I, I don't know if there's if that applies here because these are as we keep talking. I mean, about, I think we not... kind of talked about it in the last episode because they're all the same movies. They're all the same movies, and the only movie, and I, we probably talked about Das Boot. Yeah, yeah. So salt, no salt on on Das Boot. I don't think there's. No. You don't have to watch it with a grain of salt. This is no. a, it's a good. It's a solid movie. I wish yeah. I wish I could find something that wasn't the director's cut to watch. Me too. Because uh, it's <laughs> it's bloated. It's but, too long. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's great. It's a classic movie. It's yeah. it's fantastic. Um, and I I you know I early on when we did our episode on Tootsie I I 
reference some salt that I had for that movie in yeah. terms of its lead character and kind of what a piece of shit he is. But it's still a great movie. It's still know? great, but yeah. It's not enough for me. Like, there's there's some humor made out of uh, attempted rape or, or assault, and yeah. none of that's good, but... I mean, out of all of these movies, that's as close as I get to Salt. Yeah, and we both had the same comment about Tootsie, was that there are parts of that movie that just don't age well, things that they're yeah. making light of. And, and obviously the whole movie is playing on the, you know, man in a dress, uh, the comedy of a man in a dress. Trope. and Yeah, and, you know, and that as a comic trope has not aged well, as we all know. Right. So that for me, that is the grain of salt that you have to watch a movie like Tootsie with. And it's like... But if you can, if you can, mm-hmm. if you can watch the movie with that grain of salt. Because sort of, at least it's about him learning yes, something. Obviously. You know? Obviously. Yeah. yeah. It's it's not. Um, he learns to be a better man. And he earns that. Like yes. he sacrifices fame and stardom and everything uh, to right. to be a better man. But because we're talking about it, not in terms of like it's gender politics like we did last time. We're talking about it in terms of just its merit as a film. Oh, well, no. Yeah, that's. That, you know that's what I mean? Reproach. Yeah. I, that, that's I mean, what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> like, like, that's ridiculous. Yes. Like we have, like we're on record. We've given it its grain of salt. And in this yeah. episode, we're really talking about it in terms of its construction, its execution. That part the of execution it is, of the, film. the execution of it is, you know, pretty impeccable. And, and I think it's the execution. I think it's the performances that make that movie. Like it made it successful. Then it's yeah. makes it successful. Now it's the reason why it's going to Broadway this year for God's yeah. sake. So yeah, no salt on these for in terms of their yeah. execution and their filmmaking. These, I said, it, which is a treat, by the way. It's oh, it's yeah. nice to go to 1982, and feel safe. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, yes. There's a storm outside, but we're inside. The doors are locked. Yeah. There's a fire. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Hot right. cocoa. And what about tonight? Now, now. There were two thousand tuxes and cummerbunds waiting for people to wear and 500 hairdressers flying around blow drying everyone's hair <laughs> there were 300 choppers and limbs too lined up outside in the road Project 1982 is a production of the Everything Sequel podcast and was produced by Mike Shantz and Matt Aldrich. Original music by Emmett Aldrich and Murphy Aldrich. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. How do you feel about Cleveland? <laughs>